This is a 980 CKNW podcast. You are live with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We got a really cool program today. Later on, uh, we will be chatting uh, about the next installment of our subscription series. Our, our good uh, friend Ted Kritsonos, our uh, man in Toronto, has been doing a whole bunch of articles and interviews about the different subscription services out there. Everything from music to books. This week, we're going to be talking about Adobe Creative Cloud and specifically the the photo edition and uh, how to take advantage of that. So we'll uh, get an in-depth review and uh, let you know how you can uh, work it. We'll also be chatting with the folks over at uh, Clear360, Darwin Labs, I believe, a Canadian company. Uh, this Clear360 is kind of cool. It's actually made for businesses and schools that will help track everyone from a COVID and health perspective. Uh, and they've got some really interesting tools. And you know, the question is, would you use it in your school? I think we'll, uh, we'll have to answer. Uh, and we'll be talking to the runner-up of the Canadian National James Dyson Awards. The company's called Scope. They've developed this really cool zooming technology for cameras that doesn't need optical lenses. Yeah, this could actually eliminate the camera bump. I know. I'm excited to, to hear all about this. Let's talk about some of the app news, uh, John. LinkedIn they're going to be introducing LinkedIn Stories. I guess you're jumping on the bandwagon. So Stories, if you don't know what that is, if you go into Facebook or Instagram, um, you can create little stories of pictures and video and text that you can post for your friends to see. I, I don't care about them, to be honest. They actually kind of pollute my Facebook feed, but uh, now it looks like Instagram wants to do business stories. LinkedIn wants to do business stories. What did I say? You said Instagram. Yeah, sorry, LinkedIn. Um, see, it's all blurring into one. Yes. So what does that all mean, John? It just means that you can basically talk about your professional life, your career, the type of work you do, etc. God, that's what I want <laughs> in my LinkedIn feed. I'm an SEO douchebag. Yeah. Yeah, no. No? No, I don't want to see that. Any word on when this is rolling out? Uh, Soon. I think it's rolling out now. Oh, great. Yeah. Anyway, something to look forward to uh, when you're looking for a job in LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's move on to Amazon. And we've been talking a lot about Amazon over the past couple of weeks. They've had some big announcements uh, with their uh, Ring security system, some new Echo devices uh, for your home. And also, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, Amazon Guard. This is something that's already built into the Amazon Echo speed, uh, speakers with Alexa. I explain. So the, the nice thing about Guard is it's a literally a, a switch you turn on in the Amazon app. Yeah. And when you're away, so you switch it between home and away. Yes. When you're away, it turns all your devices into kind of like little listening posts. Yes. And so it will listen for things like breaking glass because someone just you know smashed a window to break in or you know uh, different alarms like smoke alarms yeah smoke alarms co2 alarms yeah. whatever kind of alarm you have um and it will then notify you via the alexa app on your phone saying hey something's going on something's going on and it you know depending on what devices you have you can actually have a live feed if you have a camera of some kind uh, or you can at least listen to see what kind of alarm it is so this is a free thing built in. It's a free thing built in, yeah. But you can get Guard Plus. There's a new service called Guard Plus was part of their recent announcements. And it sounds like you can actually have, uh, when it detects a certain type of alarm, you can actually have it bark at whomever's there. So, Sorry, what? You can have your speakers bark. Yes. So imagine someone's broken into your, say, uh, your back door. 
when it detects that broken glass, it'll start playing a dog barking sound. <laughs> Which I think is kind of brilliant, actually. <laughs> so for those who want that extra layer of security that don't have dogs, or maybe they have dogs that aren't very good guard dogs. You've got pretty good guard dogs. Yeah, well, they're kind of yappy. Yeah. Guard, I mean, I could really use a good, strong, scary bark. Right. Yes. And is that free, or is that part of Guard Plus? It's Guard Plus. So you got to pay extra to have your speakers bark, yeah. essentially. Okay. Don't forget to hit our website. We're giving away a great prize this week. It's the Roku Stream Bar. This is an awesome sound bar that has Roku TV, uh, the smart TV platform, built right into it. So uh, if your TV has an HDMI connection, you can simply plug this in with one connection and have your TV become smart and also f- great sound. Dolby Dolby. Uh, again, all you have to do is visit our website, getconnectedmedia.com, hit the newsletter tab, and follow the instructions. Again, this is a great prize. It's uh, worth uh, almost $200 and works on any TV, really, that has the HDMI connection and fits into any home uh, and any size TV. It's a great compact little soundbar, and you get that great, simple-to-use Roco TV smart TV interface. When we come back from the break, more apps to talk about. Back after this. Welcome back to the App Show. Mike and John here. Got a really cool guest. Uh, we've uh, had a chance to talk to a few folks that uh, have uh, won awards or the runners-up of the James Dyson Engineering Awards. These uh, happen uh, yearly, and they basically evaluate uh, the best uh, new engineering and technology uh, ideas. We're speaking today with uh, Holden Beggs. Uh, he's a runner-up here on the Canadian side of the uh, competition. He's a re- uh, recent graduate of uh, Waterloo uh, University of Waterloo uh, and also co-founder of Scope. And uh, they are working on a new technology to... Uh, give us lossless zoom on cameras. So think about it right now when you are using your smartphone, for example, and you're zooming in on something. There's two ways uh, that happens. Either the software algorithms uh, are basically blowing the pixels up uh, or it's uh, using a combination of lenses, uh, optical zoom, to, to make that happen. Well, he's come up with a third way. We've got uh, Holden Beggs on the line. Thanks for joining us, Holden. Great to be here. Thank you. I'm excited about this. Uh, I mean, you watch all the movies, uh, you know, the police ones, and they've got a photo on the computer screen, and they're like, enhance Sector Z5, (laughs) and they zoom in like 8,000 times. Oh, there, there's that license plate from five miles away. Is that something uh, that you're working on there to to give us uh, better quality zoom so uh, the police can solve even more crimes? Yeah, exactly. And you've tapped into something there really interesting because that that whole problem of lossy zoom is not just a smartphone problem. Like it echoes through so many different other um, industries and lives and people. So that's been a really exciting and driving force behind what we're doing is just trying to impact all of those different problems. Well, I'm excited to, to hear more about this. My, my wife hates me when we watch these cop shows or these movies where, uh, you know, they're zooming in on things. I'm like, they can't do that. That's impossible. <laughs> so uh, I'm glad to hear that you're working on it. So how does it work? Like, yeah, how are so, you trying to tackle this problem? Yeah, so you kind of touched, uh, you touched on the solution there where usually with Zoom, it's either digital, as you said, blowing up the picture, or physical, where you're moving lenses like binoculars or a telescope. We're doing something a little bit different. So we're using a technology called liquid crystals, which are small molecules, almost like you can imagine grains of rice floating in a gel. 
that when you put an electric field through them, they change their position and change how light bends passing through. So you can make a lens that changes how it behaves optically without any physical movement, which is really exciting. So this is an actual physical solution that you're, yeah. you're doing, not really software based. Exactly, exactly. So it's not and, limited by whatever your software can do. And I think what's interesting about what you're proposing um, is that this could have implications where we get rid of the camera array, for example, on the back of our smartphone because you just need one lens. Exactly, exactly. You don't need three to try and take different photos and blur them together with software. You just take one however you need it. So if this technology uh, were to come to fruition in the future, we're not going to have those giant bumps on the back of our camera in, nope, or, or on our smartphone. you're not going to have multiple apertures either. Wow. And uh, what made you come up with this idea? Like, how did you figure this out to, to, yeah, to start so, researching this? Yeah, so the background is I'm actually from British Columbia uh, myself, and so love taking landscape photos, mountains and ocean. And when I moved out to Waterloo, I was really frustrated to realize that all my photos of home were horrible. Um, and that, <laughs> irrita that irritated me. Like the fact that my phone could theoretically put a man on the moon and yet can't take a sharp photo was ridiculous to me. And so luckily there were four other fantastically smart people who were annoyed at the same problem. And we came together during the last year of our engineering degree to solve it. And now we're working on it full time. It, it's interesting. Again, this is kind of a physical uh, s solution that you're working on exactly. to, to zooming. Uh, so it, it's really like optical lenses in a telescope, right? I mean, those are exactly. much larger, but you're doing it at the molecule level. Like, how difficult is that? It's, it's tough. And at first we thought of building much bigger lenses, but it's really hard to build the big solutions. The, those electric fields I'm talking about just don't work. And so we have to build them smaller for smartphone cameras and small compact cameras. Um, and that's made it a bit easier, but I don't think it would be possible unless um, we had the team we have with a decade of experience at places like Apple and MIT and Harvard um, with a background in nanoengineering. Like the, the perfect intersection of skills and experience has made this possible. So sorry, these are LCD or LED uh, molecules? Liquid crystals, uh, LCD. So li LCD stands for liquid crystal display. Yeah. I, I, I want to ask a really stupid question. So, okay. So you're thinking, okay, I'm going to change the camera world here. We're going to yeah. use these LCD crystals, these tiny little molecules. Where do you get them? Like, <laughs> do you, so do, do, does someone make this? Is there a store somewhere? Oh yeah. Yeah. They're all over the place. Those LCDs, like those LCD TVs you're talking about have liquor crystals in them. Yeah. But um, so where do they come from? Uh, people just make them. They're, they're, pretty, they're pretty easy to make, honestly. The trick is getting the right combination of liquid crystals so that they don't absorb light, they operate in a big range of temperatures, uh, they don't break or uh, break down over time. So making them is easy. Making the right ones is tough. Um, and we're doing that partially. One of our advisors is the Dean of Science at Waterloo. He's internationally lauded liquid crystal researcher. So he's been a fantastic person to just bounce ideas off of. So you're not going to Amazon to get these? No. No. <laughs> And no. like, how many people would be working on something like this? Like down the road or right now? Right now, for example. Yeah, so the problem itself probably has a ton of people working on them. I mean, you see all of those apertures popping up on the back of your phone. That's the product of hundreds of engineers. Yeah. Um, and people are working on trying to reinvent the lens. But usually they're either needing mechanical movement or motors, which aren't great for your smartphone, or they have really limited range um, or um, like aberration correction. Um, for our liquid crystal lenses, especially building a system that has many of these tunable lenses, we're the only ones we can find working on it, especially for just smartphones. 
do you find uh, are you thinking of other applications for this oh, technology yeah. like like what yeah. uh so medical imaging is a great one so if you think of the compact cameras needed for a diagnosis and treatment if you don't have a sharp photo that diagnosis can be wrong if you think of virtual reality, that nausea people get that stopped VR from being so popular is because the lenses can't focus. You think of self-driving cars, you think of microscopes, like the, the possible impact of this technology is huge. How do you make it happen though? Like you've come up with this idea, yeah. you've got other people involved. Like, I mean, how do you drive this thing forward so that you can actually make a, a working prototype? Like this isn't yeah. easy. If it was easy, we'd already have this technology. Oh, for sure, yeah. Um, part of it is just the stubbornness uh, to keep going, even when it's difficult. Yeah. Part of it is because we're at the University of Waterloo, which has a huge number of resources and support for people like us. Um, it's been fantastic in giving us the lab space and the technology and the time needed to actually build this and make it possible. Um, and then part of it is just having the right team and having the right group of people to um, motivate each other and push each other to the extremes of what's possible. Do you still work with the university? Yep, we do, yeah. And so how does that work? You've, you've graduated. You're yep. out. You've got yep. your own little company I'm going. Done. Yeah, you're out. You're done. Uh, you've got your own company. Like, uh, like what's in it for them? Like, do so they get a the piece of this if you get rich? Oh, t I mean, so first of all, I mean, just the marketing and the media attention to the university is huge. The university um, is both runners up for the Dyson Award come from the University of Waterloo. Um, part of it is that. Part of it is the... Um, additional focus on entrepreneurship and growth that it brings to the area and some prizes that we get the university gets a chunk of that money too so it's they're financially involved as well but i think more than any of that the university has just been really good about fostering that kind of innovation and ideas um, and i think have reaped the rewards by just growing so quickly over the 70 years it's been active how do you live you've started this company you, you yeah. haven't made anything yet you're not selling yep. anything like yep. are you living in your mom's basement uh, no, like, no, how do you so get money? Yeah. yeah, so we built working lenses and we built a bunch of computer software to design our new ones. And then uh, because of that and because of the vision that I think a lot of people connected with and how we're realizing that vision, um, we won a significant amount of money in competitions and grants and, and just in funding. So we are good to go for quite a while um, to the point where we can uh, we feel confident in doing investor funding. So when you're setting out, like, you're a technology company. Yeah. Uh, one of the co-founders, like you're, you're the nerd, I'm, I'm yeah. assuming. Yes. Like, yeah, we all are. Yeah. <laughs> like, from a business perspective, like obviously you got to start thinking with a business hat as well, yeah. right? Because eventually the good times are going to run out. You're going to run out of money. You're going to need yep. more money. Who's going, who's going out and getting more money? Do you, is that you? Are you finding other people that are good at that? Oh, both. Uh, it's partially me and partially one of my other co-founders, Ishan, who's uh, in charge of the business side of things. Yeah. Um, the two of us do a lot of that, but we've been very frank and realistic about the fact that there's so many other people and companies out there with people far better at business than us. And one of the great things about um, not just the University of Waterloo, but Kitchener-Waterloo in general, um, is that it has a lot of startups, which means it has a lot of those people who are really good at business to advise us, to teach us, and to mentor us. Um, and that's been pushing us really far farther than we could have on our own let's let's talk about the contest here the james dyson um yeah. engineering contest um how important was it for you to enter this and and what's it going to do for you now that you you have got some 
uh, yeah. I guess, recognition for your technology, your runner-up here in Canada. I mean, it's it's surreal to be moving on to the internationals, to be representing Canada, and that is so cool. Um, the James Dyson is incredibly prestigious, and part of why we applied was just we think our technology and um, what we're bringing, our value, are competitive enough to compete, and we'd be kicking ourselves if we didn't. But because it's so prestigious, the connections that it uh, lends us, the ability to form new partnerships and collaborations, not just as a Kitchener-Waterloo startup, but as something much more global, as something that can actually touch industries in Asia and India and Europe and America, that's really powerful. And that global reach of the Dyson Award um, was one of the biggest reasons we applied and is something that we're really excited to uh, capitalize on. We've been talking with Holden Beggs. He's uh, the co-founder of Scope. They're developing a new LCD technology that would basically allow you to do zooming without a bunch of different optical lenses or, or using software, using basically LCD crystals and, and molecules to, to make that happen. How far are you away, Holden? Yeah, so we're probably around six months away from having the full zooming device that you can hold in the palm of your hand and take photos. Yeah. And then after that, it's a matter of scaling it down so it can fit in your smartphone, um, about uh, integrating it into other machines and other devices. Um, and that's just going to be a rolling process. Not that far, though. We've already built lenses. We're building them right now. And that's, that's our focus for the next few months. I'll give you 500 bucks for 25% of your company. <laughs> no deal. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. But. Uh, where can people find out more about uh, what you're working on? Yeah, so you can find out more at our website, scopephotonics.com, and the associated Facebook and LinkedIn pages, um, or just keep an eye on the news. I mean, it's been going really well so far, and I'm pretty confident we'll keep making waves. Well, good luck, and I'm excited to see what happens uh, in the, the coming months and years. Uh, again, Holden Beggs, uh, co-founder of Scope, uh, they are one of the runner-up winners of the James Dyson Engineering Awards, and we will be following Holden to see uh, what happens uh, with his technology. When we come back, more apps to talk about and mobile here on the App Show. Back after this. Well, I know a lot of uh, people have anxiety about kids going back to school, uh, and a lot of people still have anxiety about even getting back into the workspace. I know with our company, we're slowly reintroducing people into this brand new shiny office space that we just took possession of just at the start of the, the lockdown. Uh, but uh, there are tools out there, and... Uh, we want to talk today about uh, one of them. It's something called Clear360 uh, from uh, a company here in Canada, uh, Vancouver. Uh, on the line, we've got Ashish Anand. He is uh, the man behind the Clear360 platform. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, give our listeners uh, a kind of a breakdown of uh, this platform, Clear360, and how you feel it could help uh, schools uh, and, and universities. Sure. So um, we developed Clear360 primarily to help organizations implement the health guidelines that are coming out of public health. Uh, that's one of the biggest challenges they have. So if you put yourself in the situation of a school administrator, a principal, um, a district administrator um, for, for schools, or even someone who's overseeing the health and safety of, of students within the context of university or a company, one of the biggest challenges you have is, is keeping everyone healthy and safe. Um, easier said than done during a pandemic. Um, there's a lot of guidelines. They change time to time. The way they have to be implemented by industry changes. Uh, so it's a really, really tall order to kind of stay on top of what the guidelines are, implement them, 
uh, without kind of any system or tools and get the kind of compliance and transparency that you need. So we've developed a solution that helps organizations deploy a system that keeps them automatically in compliance, that adapts to the guidelines as they change, gets kind of the behavioral responses that they need from their constituents with the end goal of keeping everyone safe and, and doing the things they need to do to, to keep themselves and people around them safe, whether it's at home or within a school or work environment. How does this work in a school then? How would this uh, sure. roll out? So um, it has various components, but the simplest way to think about it is it's a, uh, it's a mobile app that is deployed uh, in, a, in a school environment. It's very, very easy to provision for an administrator. Uh, we have iOS and Android apps that can be downloaded. Uh, you sign up with your school ID, and once you're signed in, it reminds you to do a daily health check-in every morning. Uh, the school can decide what time that needs to be. Everyone in the school, whether you're a teacher, staff, or a student, or even a parent, in the cases of young children, they can delegate, um, they, can, they can check in on behalf of children. And um, there's a reminder that pops up every morning, and it asks four basic questions. How are you feeling? Do you have any symptoms? Have you traveled? Uh, have you had exposure to someone? Uh, have you tested positive? Kind of the standard screening questions that are required by public health. And they answer those questions. And based on that, they either get cleared. Um, that's what the name comes from for the product. Or they don't get cleared, uh, again, based on the health guidelines. And if they're cleared, they essentially have pre-arrival clearance. So they arrive at school, they can just flash their phone, or there's a QR code that can be scanned at the door to make sure they have been cleared. And the school administrator knows that everyone coming in is symptom-free. They still may be carrying the virus. We don't want to give the impression that they're not. There are people that are asymptomatic. But for those that are doing most of the spreading uh, are symptomatic as far as the latest research we have. So those people are, are kept home. Uh, for the time period that public health wants. So that's basically the fundamental premise, but we do a lot more than that, but that's essentially how it gets used. So just uh, so I get this straight, uh, if a school wanted to roll this out, everyone has to have uh, access to this app. Uh, so teachers, principals, janitors, anyone working in the school, and the parents and students. And, and of course, if the students are, are too young, uh, the parents would be uh, answering on that's behalf right. of them. And so would you even check the parents' health as well? Um, so we have we have the option of, of the parents checking in for the students, but we haven't extended it to family members of the students. Uh, that's not, again, what we're trying to do, like I said earlier, is we're trying to implement public health guidelines, and that is not a requirement. So if public health says, you know, if you have to admit or, or provide information about the health of other people you're living with, then our app would automatically adapt and, and ask those questions, but that's not the case today. Um, and who do you want using it? I think you want using it anyone that is actually planning to come into school. So if you have students that are doing online schooling, which I know uh, has picked up quite a bit and a large number of people are doing that, they probably don't need to. There are benefits to them doing it uh, because the, some of the other things we do, what we're also trying to do in addition to helping organizations sort of deploy these or implement these policies is get visibility into people's health without violating their privacy. And so even knowing things like what symptoms people are having, uh, being able to be ready to respond in case of a crisis. So in the case of someone who tests positive, to have a complete report in front of you knowing you know, who do they interact with, what locations were they in, what places need to be sanitized, who needs to be notified, who needs to be isolated, 
you know, monitoring the symptoms of all of these individuals, like creating a cohort, making sure they get the support they need. All of this is really, really complex. We just, you know, no administrator was in a position to be responsible for this before, so that no, no systems for this existed. But trying to do this manually, trying to do this for a few people or a few hundred or a few thousand, gets really, really challenging. So that's really what we're trying to do. And that's really where the, the problem also arises, where things fall through the cracks and, you know, uh, people uh, are exposed in, in a situation where they really shouldn't have been exposed. Are, are there any concerns about, like some people would think this is like too far or, you know, it's an invasion of their privacy. Like, could could the school actually mandate this without like a big uproar? That's a great question. Um, I think that varies. Um, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of getting my temperature scanned when I go to the mall or into an office building. Uh, I'm not a fan of having to do a number of the, the, the things, you know, being stuck at home or, um, you know, in some cases where businesses have to close. I think there's a lot of things that we're doing in society that, you know, are just part of um, trying to manage, you know, manage our way through this as opposed to just all becoming hermits and, and trying to stay with kind of the way we used to do things. Um, we've tried to, as a company, we really, really um, care about people's privacy. We understand how, how this can be perceived uh, as a violation of, of personal privacy. So we've, you know, we, we anonymize, as a, just as an example, we do many, many things. Well, one simple thing we do is we anonymize everyone in the system using a clear ID. So whenever they're submitting their health data, um, no one at the school actually knows who's submitting what. All they know is there's a number and what their health condition is and that they were cleared or not cleared. So we never actually associate the person's identity with their health. Um, and the only time we do that is if they test positive. So that they get the support they need, there might be you know sickness, uh, hospitalization, notifying next of kid, things like that. So that's the only situation where someone actually gets identified. But um, so anyway, we're we're taking privacy seriously. But yes, it, it, I don't know about the mandating part. That's up to the schools to decide. Um, but we don't we don't enforce like people can opt out. They can contact us and have their data deleted if they want. Not participate. Um, it's it's totally a personal decision. And between them and the organization they're part of or school they're part of. Have any schools opted into this yet, or is it still uh, very new? No, we actually just launched about uh, a week and a half ago. So we actually have deployed. We're we're just in the middle of starting our first pilot as of last Wednesday, and so far so good. Uh, we're deploying with a private school. Um, we're starting with private schools primarily because um, they're they're not subject to all of the uh, all the layers of of administration above them and, and can make decisions faster. But uh, we're already starting to see how this works um, in the field, uh, learning from it, adapting to it. And uh, so we have a number of others in the pipeline that we'll be deploying in the next uh, month or so. And same thing with post, uh, post-secondary post institutions. And we're also doing that for larger utilities in North America as well with our enterprise software. We've been talking with Ashish Anand. He is uh, the man behind Darwin Labs who've come out with this uh, True60 uh, platform. Uh, Did I get that right? Clear360, sorry. (laughs) That uh, schools and companies can uh, roll out to their employees and students to kind of keep a check on how healthy everyone is and actually give uh, uh, the go-ahead or uh, not go-ahead to to come to school. So I'm uh, I'm interested to see how this all goes uh, for you, Ashish, and uh, we'll keep in touch with you. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You're back with The App Show. Mike and John here. We're talking subscriptions. We've got a great series up on our website on all the different subscription services that are available now. Everything from, uh, you know, Apple to 
Spotify to YouTube. Kobo. Kobo. Well, today we're going to talk about Adobe and Adobe Creative Cloud. And when we do talk about subscriptions, we got our subscription expert, Ted Kritsonos from Toronto. Thanks for joining us. Good to be here, guys. Uh, so, Adobe. Uh, I remember in the old yeah. days, uh, you'd spend a fortune on buying like Adobe Photoshop or Adobe Premiere. Those things were like six, $700, maybe $1,000, depending which package uh, you got. Uh, but that's all gone to a subscription service now. They call it Creative Cloud. Uh, Ted, uh, where do we start uh, with the Adobe universe here? So in this particular case, we're going to be talking about the photography plan. Um, so the photography plan is made up of Photoshop, Lightroom, CC, so Lightroom Creative Cloud, and Lightroom Classic. Uh, so Lightroom Creative Cloud, the, the difference between those two, just quickly, is that you can use the, the CC version on mobile devices as well whereas Classic is desktop only and is the older interface that a lot of Lightroom users still prefer over the newer one. You can be a little bit more intricate with the Classic one. But those three uh, applications basically make up this plan. And it involves a certain amount of storage as well because unlike Photoshop, where you are working on the photo and then saving it onto a hard drive or your computer, Lightroom actually has cloud storage. So when you work on photos on there, they are actually saved to Adobe's cloud so that you can access them on other devices. That's better, isn't it? Well, it's necessary because it, the, the, for the most part, if you're on Lightroom and you're working on raw, fo- like raw image formats, um, they're huge. These are really big files. So you, you actually kind of need the cloud storage in order to, to, for, to make all that work. Otherwise, I mean, your hard drive is going to fill up very, very quickly, like mine has. But so, I mean, when you're working those, those big files, like... You're going to need like, like what are the system requirements for this? Like, do you need a they're pretty not, new computer? They're, they're, yeah, they're they're not as crazy as you think. So, uh, Lightroom actually is, is is a more is a lighter weight program than I would say Photoshop is. I find Photoshop needs more RAM uh, and, and more virtual memory than Lightroom ever does. And now, Photoshop part, Photoshop also needs a big scratch disk. So if you're running low on storage. This happens to me all the time with my laptop. Yeah, Photoshop yeah, will freak out. So I'll just plug in an external hard drive or an SSD, and, and that becomes my scratch disk. But yeah. Is that a DJ term? No? Okay, keep, <laughs> keep going, Ted. I'm, <laughs> I'm losing the crowd. <laughs> yes. So, so yeah. So, yeah, to John's point, I mean, absolutely. Like, so Photoshop is more processor-intensive. Uh, it, it takes more of the CPU and the GPU to do what it's doing because of all the different editing and manipulation that's going on there. Whereas Lightroom, like Lightroom's job is primarily focused on detail, color, uh, you know, contrast, saturation, um, sharpness, things like that. Like, yes, Photoshop has those things, but Lightroom is more, I, I feel more particular in that regard. So that's why these two programs, a lot of times for photographers, regardless of whether you're an amateur or a pro, they kind of go hand in hand. And obviously, Adobe is offering them together. The, the, I have a number of uh, photographer friends. They love the, the CC version of Lightroom because they will take all their photos, they'll dump them on their computer, and then they'll go and edit them and sort of spend the time noodling with them on their iPad Pros. Oh, okay. Right, because yeah. then yeah. you can zoom in and you get to see, you know, like it's it's a pretty good way to do sort of image processing when you're away from your computer, like on a set or on location or something like that. So the only, the only downside of that scenario is that for the most part, cameras do not allow you to transfer raw photos to the uh, the dedicated app 
that works with that camera on a phone or a tablet. So, for example, if you had a Sony, you know, mirrorless or, or SLR, and you wanted to transfer the, the raw files over to uh, Image Capture, uh, which is Sony's app, it, it, it won't let you move the raw files or only the JPEGs, which yeah. is, you know, unfortunate, right? Because obviously, if you shot in raw, you want it, those are the files you want to work on in Lightroom. Just for the listeners out there, when we're talking about uh, photo files, JPEGs are really highly compressed versions yes. of your photos. And it makes, like, for most people, like, you can't even tell the difference. But for photo enthusiasts and photographers, they like working with the raw. Like, these are the raw first images, but they're huge in file size. Yeah, it gives yeah, you the ability. Go ahead, Ted. Oh, no, I was just going to say, no, because the raw files are, are totally uncompressed and unprocessed. You yourself are doing the processing. Right. So instead of the camera doing it itself, you are doing it. So you have but, the, but, the ability to adjust the exposure, the color, the saturation, all those things that you can't. On, on the original image. On the original. Yeah. And when it's when you're doing that on a compressed JPEG, for example, it affects the whole image, not just one color value. That's exactly. right. Yeah, exactly what John said. Like Because there's way more image data to work with. Uh, when you have the raw file, that's that's where Lightroom excels is because it's able to tap into uh, some of that, you know, intricate data that's in there. And that's how you get some of these incredible photos that people are, are, are shooting these days. It's often too something like 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 Lightroom allows you to take basically a crappy photo because you shot it in raw and turn it into gold. Um, where you can't... I sound, sounds like I need this. <laughs> yes, maybe you do. Uh, Ted, how much are we talking here for, for this particular Okay, package? so um, now, uh, one of the controversies here is that Adobe does not, offer e- does not offer either of these as an outright purchase, okay? So that has been a controversial thing. There are people who are still upset about it seven years later, but that's, you know, that's... That's the score right now with that. So, are there protests? Um, yes. <laughs> if you if you go with the main photography plan, and that includes the three apps that I already talked about, that starts at now. This is in U.S. dollars. I gotta. I just have to be clear here. This is Adobe only charges in U.S. dollars. So we're talking ten dollars a month U.S. and you get twenty gigs of cloud-based storage. Okay. Um, if you want to raise that to one terabyte, you're paying twenty bucks U.S. a month. Okay. Very, very clever on their part. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if you want Lightroom only, you can get that for 10 bucks a month with one terabyte of storage. So that, but you're, you're, you're not getting Photoshop and you're not getting Lightroom classic. So you're just getting Lightroom CC and that's it. I'm pretty sure I pay about 15 bucks Canadian or 15 and change for my plan. Uh, Cause that's the plan I have. Yeah. Um, I think it's good value for what I use it for, and I don't have to even think about it. We're talking today about uh, Adobe's Creative Cloud, the Photographer uh, Edition. If you want to find out more info about this, you got to go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com. Ted's done a fantastic series up there on all the different types of subscription services. I encourage you to check them out. Uh, They're very, very informative, and they'll tell you everything you need to know. Ted, I want to thank you for joining us again. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. When we come back from the break, more apps to talk about here on the App Show. Stay tuned. You're back with the app show. Don't forget to hit our website, getconnectedmedia.com. It's got all our video and audio podcasts up there, some great blog articles, how-to tips uh, and videos uh, on how to make the most out of your tech, and, of course, our contest. 
giving away a Roku Stream Bar. This is a sound bar and smart TV box all built into one. All you have to do to enter, get connectedmedia.com, hit the newsletter tab, and follow the instructions. I want to thank John and Christina, my producers, and the rest of the team that helped put the show together, including uh, Stephen and Graham. We'll see you again next time. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.